Welcome to Freedom to Choose from Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit providing hope to those caught in the devastation of addiction or who are searching for a better way to live. In this series, The Life, you'll study the life of Jesus. Who is he? What is he really like? Does he care about me? Rich and Susan Collenberg are a husband and wife team who found freedom over two decades ago from their lives of drug addiction and alcoholism. They found biblical answers and now share their experience of freedom on Freedom to Choose. Hello, everyone. My name is Rich Collenberg. And my name is Susan Collenberg. And we would like to welcome you once again to Freedom to Choose. And this is program number 35, and it's titled The Feast of Tabernacles, which is an interesting title, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, Susan, would you open with a word of prayer, please? Yes. Our loving Father in heaven, we are grateful for um, the opportunity to come and discuss the topic of um, the tabernacle, and we just pray now that you will send your spirit to guide and direct us in our thoughts and our minds and in our words, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I was going to say this program is the first program of the new year, but then I would date it. Then you would date it. Yes. So you just dated I it. I just dated it. Okay. So happy well, new year, happy everybody. Happy new year, everyone. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and so at, this program is about the Feast of Tabernacles. And, you know, there's all kinds of discussion about the feasts and the Passovers and the Days of Atonements and all those things that they had in the Old Testament and that somehow people were saved by a different mechanism in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And what we're going to try to clear up today is it's always been Jesus. Jesus was the pillar of cloud. Jesus was the water, the 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 water of life when they struck the rock Jesus was always the, the way. first fruits he's always he's the first fruits he's everything and so what we're going to discuss today um, is it talks about all of those things that the that the Israelites had gone through were basically pointing to the coming of Jesus and they were all descriptive they of were him symbols. they were symbols is all they were they were basically actors in a play mm-hmm. and they had a script which we call scripture and he went through and they dressed up in costumes there was priests and everything represented something and it all pointed to Jesus. Jesus was everything. And they missed it. They got so caught up in the ceremonies and the rote things which they did that when the true Lamb of God came, they didn't recognize him. They nailed him to a cross. Jesus is the true Lamb of God. And every time they brought a lamb in those ceremonies, it represented Jesus. Right. And it became kind of like a, almost like a killing field. Exactly. You know, yeah, you sin, bring a lamb, pay for it. So they even celebrated a a Feast of Tabernacle in Jesus' time, right? It's kind of like that's when it. This is when it all culminated. culminated Yeah. And I I hope we get to all of that. Yeah, it culminated with his life. Yeah, okay. and we could get into the deep meanings of it all, but I just want to fly over the 
over you know thirty thousand feet so, today. So basically, what you're saying is is that all those things were important because during those times in the Old Testament and up to the time of Jesus, it was a representation of His coming and His life and mm-hmm. and God's plan to um, reconcile he, us. To how him. He dealt with the sin right. problem in object, the sandbox in, in the sandbox. Teaching it was a little sandbox, sandbox. Right. illustration. You sin, you bring a lamb. The lamb dies, and, and, and the blood is sprinkled, which represents the life. And, you know, you can go through all this symbolism, but it's all pointing to Jesus. Now, this—so let's talk about the Feast of Tabernacles. Three times a year, um, the Jews were required to assemble at Jerusalem for religious purposes. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was the last feast of the year, and it was at God's plans. At this time— they celebrated. In other words, this represented the end of history, the end of time, if you will. And everybody is celebrating they're entering the promised land, if you will. And that's what the Feast of Tabernacles represented. And um, and so also they were celebrating that God had provided them with food. And, you know, you, the entire thing, the, the, the entire picture was a big celebration that finally the year was over and everything ended fine and the, and the, so the feast it 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 lasted for 7 days okay and um people came from far and near and they brought uh all kinds of different tokens of rejoicing it was a time of celebration um and everybody brought gifts and they were thankful to God and and thankful for the year and and, and you know it's kind of fitting that we would actually have this program at the end of the year at the end of our year you know, because we did make it through the year, and it was a very difficult year this year, right? Um, for a lot of people, for a, a lot, lot of, of people. Um, but we still have things to be thankful for, and we have things to look forward to. And so, this is what they're doing at the end. And right, so the the feast was not just only a harvest Thanksgiving, but it was a memorial of God's protecting care over Israel when they were in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. In commemoration of their tent life, the Israelites during the feast dwelt in tents or tabernacles of green branches, and these were constructed in the streets, in the courts of the temple, or on housetops. So it was all to to kind of see how be thankful for how God had brought them through. Right, Earth's how history, thankful, right? yeah, right. And so the the important part, and this is the part we want to get to, and we kind of may park here for a while, is because a little before that feast was what they called the Day of Atonement. And after they confessed their sins, the people were now announced to be at peace mm-hmm. with heaven. In mm-hmm. other words, at one with heaven. And so the way was prepared for the rejoicing. And at the feast, they would say, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 106, 1. That was their song, with all kinds of music and all kinds of shouts of praises because they had confessed their sins on the Day of Atonement, and now they were celebrating. They were, they were at peace with God, if you will. Right, and, and this, is, this is the real crucial to understanding the New Testament and what the true meaning of atonement is. It's a made-up word, at one meant. If I have, har- if I have harmed anyone— what is the only way that I can be restored to union with them? What is the only way that I can be at peace with them? What is the only way that I can be at one with them? Yeah. Right. It, right. And it's a it, reconciliation. It's a reconciliation at one minute. And somehow that, that, that word atonement has got twisted 
into somebody paying somebody off for somebody's sins. I don't know how you move sins around. Mm-hmm. Sins are history. Right. Right. They happen in people. When I harm someone, the only way that can be restored is if I confess to them that I've harmed them and then I act different from then on. Right. We inherited this behavior from where? All the way back into the garden. What happened? God said, Adam, there's an enemy over at the tree. Don't believe him. Believe me. Mm-hmm. And Adam said, I'm going to go hear what that guy has to say. Mm-hmm. And Adam trusted the words of the serpent over trusting the word of God. He and and he broke. Broke trust. Right. Well, he broke that at one moment. He one was man. no longer at one with God. He was now at one with the enemy. The enemy. Right. He was fallen the enemy. And so God right. comes into the garden. Where are you, Adam? Right? Because we're not at one. We're to, not, we're at not one together. Now. Something's right. up. Have you eaten from the tree? In other words, have you listened to the enemy? In other words, did you not believe me? You believe the enemy over me. Mm-hmm. And Adam is running. Why? I was naked and ashamed and afraid. And so I hid myself. Mm-hmm. So now the person, his own creator, the person he was at one with, he has severed that connection. Right. What's and so now for the rest of human history, God is saying, come back to me back. so that we can restore that, that con- connection that connection that has been broken by sin and selfishness and all that other stuff that breaks our ties with God. Have you, have you ever had a relationship with someone where you did something wrong and it ate at you and it ate at you and you had to say, I've got to, I've got to, she's shaking her head, no, never. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it ate at you, and it ate at you, but you, finally you went and you... Cleared the plate. Cleared, cleared it up. Cleared you, the history up, yeah. Right? And, and all, is, it that a, is that a different feeling? Is it a, it, you know, you have that feeling finally at your peace. I've, I've confessed what I've done wrong if I've harmed someone, you know? And so this is, this right. is what's necessary to... You can't search for... For peace. Peace is a byproduct of living right. Correct. When you harm someone, you restore that harmony by going and, and explaining to them, you know, and confessing what you did wrong. It's just simply a byproduct of principle-based living is what peace is. Right. And and principle-based living comes from the creator himself. He created humanity to be in um, in communion with each other. Mm-hmm. And through our own selfishness, our own misguided deeds, we break that communion. We constantly were breaking that communion right. in our selfish behavior. Exactly. And so now we're in a world where we live right now, and we can see how that behavior has worked to its, it's, to fractured. its end. It's just fractured everything. Right. So there's no at one moment. Right. 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 Because so it's it's not this what the world is today. And it's really hard if you if you're trying to reach a believer to say well, you know, we believe in God, and they say, "Well, if, why would I believe in God?" Is if if He's created where where we're at today? Yeah, if this is the best yeah. He can do. I don't want any part of it. Right, right. Well, there's an enemy involved, and we have followed that enemy, and we've fractured relationships, especially our relationship with God, and that, and so this is why that Feast of Tabernacles was so important because. Seven days before that, yeah. Seven days before that, they all searched their hearts. They got right with God, and and they were they were like, oh, what a relief! I've I've cleaned the plate, if you will. I've got I'm I'm back at one with God. The day of atonement, the day of atonement. See, 
And this is all that the New Testament is describing as you watch Jesus, as you listen to the, the writings of John, as John says, and, and where Jesus says is he's praying for, uh, for the disciples. He says, Father, I wish that they were at one with me like I am at one with you in union. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where, he, where he says in the book of John, I and you and you and them and them and me. Nobody's in anybody. Everybody is now in union. Everybody is now at one. Right. That's what mm-hmm. Jesus is praying. He wants everybody to be at one in a one purpose, one set of principles. So back to that Eden state before um, Adam sinned. Mm-hmm. Where everything was in harmony, right. and everything uh, was at one. Right there was there was no um, greed and selfishness. Right, right. So now let's let's take this snapshot of the the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles, mm-hmm. and let's bring it down now, at, where God has just illustrated that if you're at one with me, then you're going to have peace, mm-hmm. and that's what the Feast of Tabernacles was about. Feast and celebration. Right. Now, what happens? Because remember, Adam, what was the problem? He broke trust. He was afraid. Now, what if there's someone that's willing to die for you to show you there's nothing to be afraid of? Right. You see? Mm-hmm. Will that restore your trust? Would that restore your trust if he was willing to die for you? That you can nail him on a cross and he will forgive you. And that he didn't die to pay off some angry father, but that God gave his son to show us there's nothing to be afraid of from him or his son. That they're both together pleading to us. Right. So if we go back to the um, temple in Christ day and we look very closely, we can look at what that pleading actually is. Yes. Right? Yeah, because he's constantly pleading with us. Right. He doesn't stop I, and pleading. I, and many, many times people say that that he has our backs towards us, and he's facing the Father, pleading with the Father. To accept us. To accept us, or to hide the our sins or whatever. Right. But he's with the Father. Right. They're both so pleading for us. So he's facing us. we got to change the direction. You need to put on a new set of glasses. Right. That, and Jesus isn't pleading with the Father, because he and the Father are, are the same, is what John tells us. So Jesus is actually pleading to, to with us. With us. He's pleading with the Father for us. I and the Father are one, he says. They are one in purpose, one in principles. The Father loved us so much that he gave. Not that he took, he gave. He's he's not an angry father. He didn't chase Adam down with a whip in the garden. He's not an angry father. God and and I think it's in the book of John where Jesus said, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." So the so we could we could say that God would have gotten down and washed Judas's feet mm-hmm. just as much as Jesus did. Yeah, Jesus got one. down and and washed the feet of his betrayer, looked him right at same eyes as he looked. He, he had the same eyes that pleading he looked eyes. at Peter, you know, pleading eyes, and he washes Judas's feet, then he washes Peter's feet. And Judas goes out and betray him, and Peter goes goes out, and he and he also Confesses. and he and he and Peter uh, denies him, but Peter comes back, mm-hmm. and Peter finally got it. Said that my, that my my actually the the 
the most powerful being in the universe was willing to wash my feet. So then our picture and our understanding of who God the Father is makes a big difference in how we picture him in our standing within, you know, it's kind of like um, our earthly fathers. If if we rightly understand what our standing is with them, sometimes our earthly fathers don't treat us like the Father in heaven. But So we have to kind of put that aside and say, let me look at how Jesus and the Father interacted, and that's how God wants to also interact with us. Yeah, that, that, and that, that, that um, verse just rings in my ears. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't understand? Look, at I came here to show you how the Father would behave. Right. Right? Right. And I'm washing feet, and you can nail me to a cross. And I'll and, let you do and that. And I'll let you do it, and I'll forgive you while you do it. There's nothing to be afraid of. See, sin punishes sin. God doesn't punish, punish sin. Sin punishes right. sin. The wages of, the wages wages of sin, sin is, is death. death. The gift of God is eternal life. Right. Sure, there's some times when God ran the civil authority. He was and there a, were consequences. And there were consequences. To just like if you if you com, uh, commit a robbery here, civilly you need to be punished and put into into jail. That's maintaining civil order. Mm-hmm. But as far as your morals go, your morality, a man that rapes a woman is damaged. Right. He's damaged, and he needs healing. And, he do, God doesn't have to punish him. He's punished himself. And you know what? That that goes to even where Jesus was saying, even if you don't commit the act, if you think the act, if you entertain that act in your mind, even though you haven't committed a physical act towards that, you're actually changing your brain. You're changing your brain. You're treating also treating a woman as an object rather than a, you know, it's just, it's a whole, you know, the Ten Commandments just simply mean don't take. Right. Don't take your father and mother's reputation. Don't take life. Don't take somebody's stuff. Don't take their reputation. Uh, don't take their wives. Don't even think about taking. Right. That's what the Ten Commandments are. Don't be a taker. Mm-hmm. And we're so, we are so not at one with God that we are takers. And I think that it just comes down to, I hate to say this because it's kind of an overall thing, but that um, it comes down to trust. Yeah, do we trust God? With everything. With everything. Is he going to heal us? Is he going to remedy that that fear and taking problem in our hearts? You know, and, and it's hard right now. It's hard when you can't pay bills or, you know, you can't, you don't have food to, to right. you know, feed your family or your loved one is in prison, it's hard to be able to put your whole trust into God. Right. Because, right. Um, you know, we're, we're so used to trying to, as human beings, trying to manage our own lives. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's look at that little ceremony. Can, can we look at that ceremony that took place right there during the Feast of Tabernacles? Okay. So it was when um, it was at the altar with the water. Picture? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. okay. Well, what would happen in the morning of the great day of the feast? A priest would dip a container of water from the water of the brook, and he lifted it, lifted up high, and they would march up the steps, and they would sing, and then he would do something with the water. What would right. he do? He would take the container of water to the altar, which was at the center of the court, and there were two silver basins there, with a priest standing at each one. The container of water was poured into one and a container of wine into the other, and the contents of both flowed into a pipe, which connected back to the Kidron, and 
flowed out to the Dead Sea. Okay, and so that was a very good representation. See, the display of the sacred water represented the fountain that at the command of God gushed from the rock to quench the thirst of the children of Israel. Then they sang, The Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. But that it, was from the Old Testament. Old Testament. Right. It's all having to do with, with the Old Testament and the— And, and uh, what had happened to them and Yeah, they're wandering in the wilderness, and now they, they, got the, they got the water of life, right. and they're all rejoicing. Right. And remember, when Jesus spoke in the temple court, day after day, he taught the people until when? Until the last great day of the feast. This is fascinating. Right. Then suddenly Jesus lifted up his voice in a voice that rang throughout the courts of the temple, and he shouts, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Can you just picture that? Here they're going through all that pomp and ceremony, and they're they're pouring the water, and they're mixing it, and they're all this. They've done all these And the rituals. lights are glaring because they had these huge lights during the Feast of Tabernacles representing that God's light never goes out. Right. And Jesus walks in, and he says, if any man thirst, let him come to me. Why? He said, that water that you're pouring in there represents me. I am the water of life. And I can imagine him screaming, to, you know, at the top of his lungs, if any man thirst, come to me. And so so tell me, is that what is that the same message today that Jesus is screaming out to each one of us into our hearts, into our consciences that says, come unto me? The things that you're doing, the rituals that we can go through that we think are going to help us to gain merit right you know are we are we checking off all the things on our list that we know we're supposed to be doing because god is telling you know that we if we don't do it then we're not measuring up and i'm not saying that it's not appropriate well to have a habit habitual spiritual life but look at the irony there okay they're doing this ceremony absolutely perfect to the t they've got all the boxes checked They've got everything underlined that's proper, and they do everything. They march up the steps to the chants of the Psalms. They pour the water in perfect. They do everything perfect, and it's all pointing to the one that's standing in the middle of the, of and, the, of the court. And they're not even and recognizing him. they're not him. even recognizing right. him. And the same thing happens with the Lamb of God when they nail him to the, when they nail him to the cross. The veil of the temple rips in half, saying, you just nailed the real Lamb right. of God to the cross, and so and that, they still missed it again. And so that's why I'm saying, are we missing, are we missing that it? in our daily life? Do right. we, you know, are we so caught up in in what's happening in our earth around us and and in our own spiritual blindness? Are we are we following, you know, rituals instead of following the true Jesus? Right, right, exactly. Because it's really, really important to, to do the right things. But it's also important to have our eyes open and our heart hearts open and for the for the principles that we need to be living by and to not put a not put a, a ceremony ahead of the principles right you know uh, and be- and I think the reason why we we behave a certain way also is important too we don't behave a certain way to make ourselves uh, to, acceptable to God. Right? No, God loves us no matter right. what. Right. He wants to heal us. He wants us to have an open heart 
He wants to restore. That, bring we, that togetherness Right. Again. So if we're doing wrong things, let's tell God about it. Right. If we don't feel right about somebody, tell God, you right. know what, I, I really don't like that person, Lord, and I need help with that. Clear, clear this hatred out of my yeah, heart. Yeah, because that's where it starts. It doesn't start out there. Right. It's so not the problem we, is not out there and it's not with God. Right. It's, so if, if we have hatred towards another person, God's saying that's blocking a relationship exactly. between you and me. Right. Exactly. That's the the relationship blocker is right. is not loving your brother. Right. That's that's right. not loving God. That is the relationship blocker right there. And so that'll do it. And so that's what we go back to the day of atonement and the feast of tabernacles. The Day of Atonement, they confessed their sins, they got right with God, and then there was seven days of celebration. And once again, it's all a synapsis of the gospel. Right. That's what the gospel is. You yes. do something wrong, own it. Right. Get with God. You got hate in your heart, tell God about it. He's heard it from everybody. And he already He's, knows it. And he already knows it anyway. It's not for him to change his mind. Right. It's to change your heart. Right. That's what it's there for. Yeah, so we're going to have to wrap it up here again, folks. Uh you can get a hold of us at 916-645-1297. Uh, that's 916-645-1297. And if you need resources, we'll ship them out. And remember, Absolutely. folks, there's only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle. The other is like everything is a miracle. And you have the freedom to choose. Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There is truly hope for people whose lives seem to be overrun with problems, unhealthy relationships, or even imprisoned by some form of addiction. Rich and Susan Kallenberg are living testimonials that biblical principles do work. They've authored resources available to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook, Seven Steps to Freedom, or the book, Could It Be This Simple, The Way Out of Your Prison? Please call Rich and Susan at 916-645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they are supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening, and remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.